And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 188 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly, and this is the only Warriors podcast you need to listen to. Andy, <laughs> rousing win for the Warriors over the Mavericks. Just a lot to talk about. Let's dive right in. Wow. Yeah. Let's uh, let's dive into anything, <laughs> anything but what, our, uh, what we're supposed to be diving into. Woo! That was quite the weekend series against the San Diego Padres. If you want the Easter egg, uh, episode 188. 188 is Evan Longoria's current slugging percentage. So, <clears throat> yeah, oh. let's, dive, let's dive right in. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we could start there or we could start in any of the other. H- how about how about the one inning that included Manny Machado hitting a pretty catchable fly ball that Darren Ruff turned into not just a single but a double, and then a pass ball getting away from Joey Bart, and then Wilmer Flores kind of making Scooby-Doo noises as he's juggling a ball that hit right to him at first base for an error, and then a ground rule double. Yeah, boy, it's... It was almost bury your your head in your hands time right there. I mean, it it just it doesn't get much worse than that for a major league team. And and there were times over the weekend, especially in the finale of that series, where the Giants just did not look like a very good major league team at all. But it is one game in the standings. It's one thing to get swept by a division rival, uh, a team that should be near the top of the division that you're expecting to contend all year. But the first two games of the series, the Giants lost by one run. So you had the extra inning loss on Friday night. They lost 8-7 to seven in 10 innings. Then you you had a 2-1 to one loss on Saturday, a tough, hard-fought loss with two pitchers pitching well. Those are losses where you can say, gosh, dang it, they didn't do what they were supposed to, but they'll be right back on that horse. And then there are the losses uh, like Sundays where they just forgot how to baseball and just entirely forgot how to baseball. The pitching wasn't great. The hitting certainly wasn't great. It That's a deflating, especially when it comes as the the series finale, the, the one where the, the Padres finished the sweep. That kind of loss is especially dispiriting. Yeah, and you know when they didn't play well, you know a couple weeks earlier, they had a lot of people out with COVID. Um, they were basically playing, you know, several people short. You had Luke Williams taking, you know, key at bats with two outs in the ninth against Craig Kimbrell. It's like, well, they're not getting their matchups. They don't have their team assembled, and that wasn't really the case for a couple of days there. And you look up and you think, well, you know what? They're fifteen and five against teams with losing records. 
But they're only 7-13 and 13 against teams with winning records, and they haven't exactly performed that great against the Dodgers or Padres. So do we have enough of a sample to think that the Giants are you know, just kind of good but not really can't really hang with the top teams? That is a heck of a question because this is the roster, and this is what I'm writing about right now. There isn't, there aren't a lot of buttons to push, levers to pull. This is the roster for the foreseeable future. It just has to, you can get healthier, you can get Brandon Belt back, you can get some more ammunition back. But in general, this is the team. They're, they planned on Evan Longoria getting key at bats. They've got Evan Longoria getting key at bats. They planned on Tyro Estrada and Tommy Lastella maybe splitting time at second base. Both those guys are going to be in the lineup. They made sure to clear a lane for Joey Bart. That's what they've got. There just isn't, you know, there's, there's nothing they can do to make this a better team right away other than, say, make them play better, somehow help them play better. Uh, but this is the team, and that's that's, that's the solution. And it's, it's like an unpalatable solution is, hey, play better. Yeah, and I think you start by just pitching better. I mean, that's the easiest way to turn things around. And it starts with, you know, Logan Webb pitching like an ace and Carlos Rodon, you know, shoving right behind him and um, Alex Cobb being healthy. And um, and he's coming off a pretty good start at Coors Field that uh, kind of devolved and into – a not so pretty start because you know as Gabe Kapler said he left him in too long got a little greedy uh, but I think the bullpen overall has has had some a couple hiccups here and there but has pitched uh, you know pretty well this Padres series was just uh, you know they lost seven to six and they lost what uh, two to one or, or three to two so it's it's when, when the bats have have been there that the pitching hasn't and, and and when the they get a well pitched game they they haven't been hitting so that's just what sort of happens when. A team is uh, you know, caught in between and, and not really winning games. and But the fact that they're, they're having trouble beating, you know, quality teams. I think we're deep enough in the season to say with, with that, you know what, that, that is a little bit concerning. It is. And that's why this series against the Mets is going to be not, not crucial or important, but it's going to be illuminating, I think is the word I'm looking for. Because, yeah, they just aren't beating the good teams. And it is one thing to go and just wax the floor with the, the Nationals or who else have they beat? They've beat uh, the A's. They, they had a good game against the A's. They just, the Rockies at Oracle Park. Those are the games you expect the Giants to win. But when you're on the road in St. Louis, when you're on the road in New York, when you have the Mets coming in, if the Giants don't show something against the Mets, is it officially panic time? Is it what level of panic? What what uh, flavor? What notes of panic should we expect to taste if the Giants don't do well against the Mets? Well, we know it's not panic time with a K because Joe Panic is officially retired. But uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think that the fact that they just lost Brandon Belt again and he just had his knee drained and had a cortisone injection in his knee. The fact that uh, Lamont Wade Jr. was back for like five minutes and then he said, oh, forgot something, guys. I got to go back. Uh, got to go back home. And his knee flared back up again. And, and that's that's troubling. I mean, this is a team that's, um, you know, got a lot of sort of older liability type players and uh, they're relying on their depth to pick them up and you don't want to rely on that depth too soon so I think you you make a good point this is not the time of the year when when there's going to be someone who sweeps to the rescue there's no big trades that you make this time of year Uh, they just kind of have to going to have to ride it out they are uh, the oldest team in the National League they have an average age the average age of their batter is 30 
years old in three months. And that is, uh, it's not by far the oldest in the National League, but it is the oldest. And I that is just going to rear its head at times like this. It's the oldest. It's not quite as old as the Yankees, so it's not the oldest in baseball. But the Giants knew that they were going to have to weather these storms and they were going to have to do it through depth. And nobody was expecting Brandon Belt to play 154 games and, and get 600 plate appearances. That just was never in the, the calculus. But this is a little bit concerning because they're not getting anything from Longoria. Wade was back for a few seconds, like you said. Belt is probably not giving them as much as they were even hoping. They were cautiously optimistic, maybe. And he's not even giving them that much as far as uh, being able to stay in the lineup. I don't know. I, it just it feels like this was the plan but it's edging towards that, not worst case scenario, they're still over 500, but this is sort of on the, the wrong end of the spectrum for an older team as far as expectations. But then if you look up at the offense, you know, they're still second in the major leagues in runs per game at 5.1. You look at runs allowed, though, and they're at 4.2, which is right on the major league average. And that's not where we expected this team to be. So if you're looking at which area of the club has kind of underperformed, you might, you know, Point to the pitching, and clearly, I think they haven't seen their best from Logan Webb yet. Although he's, you know, got a lot of wins, they haven't lost a lot of his starts, so that's a good sign. Anthony Discolfani's on a 60-day injured list. Uh, Jacob Junis is in the rotation now, although he's uh, been fine. But I think that we probably expected the the pitching to be a little bit better than it's been to this point, especially after they started the year the way they did with Carlos Rodon just looking unbelievable. But uh, they definitely are 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 not clicking on all cylinders right now. So here is a stat that surprises the heck out of me. When you're talking about fielding independent pitching, which is FIP, FIP, that is the statistic that takes walks and strikeouts and home runs allowed and mashes them up, makes it look like ERA. The number one team in FIP is the, the Milwaukee Brewers. They have a 3.26 FIP, and the Giants are number two at 3.28, which is way lower than their team ERA. Uh, so FIP isn't a perfect statistic. It is not uh, uncannily accurate all the time. Are the Giants a little bit unlucky or does this have to do with a little bit of defensive, their foibles uh, on the defensive side? What's responsible for the gap in runs allowed and runs that the nerds say they should allow? Yeah, that's surprising because it's not like they have a super strikeout staff. And I wonder how much Rodon is just sort of putting his thumb on the scale there. I mean, he's got 62 strikeouts in 44 innings. So if, if you just took him out of the equation, uh, I wonder where they would rank because it's not like you know anybody else has massive strikeout numbers. I mean, Alex Cobb does have 32 in 25 innings and change. Camilo Duvall struck out 22 in 16 plus innings. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily a huge strikeout staff. And that's, I think, generally where you find uh, the super high fit dudes or super low FIP dudes, I guess, in this case. And yeah, Rodon is is 2.11 is his FIP, but the team FIP is 3.28. So, you know, he's definitely probably weighting that, that FIP down quite a bit to where it would rank the where it ranks. But I don't know if that's necessarily emblematic of, of the qualities of this staff sort of writ large, I guess. Yeah, and the Giants also, uh, when it comes to their pitching, they are the third worst team in the National League in hits per nine innings. Uh, they give up, an, on average, a hit per inning. And when it goes to the batting average on balls in play, they have the second worst BABIP, and they're behind the Rockies, who play at Coors Field and have to deal with that outfield there. So 
what I don't want to say is the Giants are unlucky. Oh, this is uh, the bad will come down because it does not have to be bad luck. It could just be poor defense, porous defense. It could be that the pitchers aren't doing what they're supposed to. They're not executing the plan. It could be that the Giants are, for whatever reason, having shifts that aren't as effective as other teams. I'm not entirely sure what's going on, but the Giants are giving up way more hits than they probably should. Except for Luis Gonzalez. Except for Luis Gonzalez. Sweet, sweet Shohei Gonzalez. Who pitched again on Sunday, pitched two innings. I think he threw five pitches and got three outs in his first inning. And that was so nice just to to bring a swift end to that awful, awful game on a beautiful Sunday when you could have been doing so many things that would have been better than watching that baseball game. And uh, yeah, he's at 3.1 innings now. You know, his FIP, by the way, is 3.10. He's got a 0.6 whip, uh, 5.4 hits per nine. And uh, yeah, Luis Gonzalez. Hey, he's been a revelation. We can just go through all the Major League Baseball records that he holds and uh, has tied. He's he's got the lowest home runs per nine innings allowed in Major League history, the lowest walk rate in Major League history, the lowest strikeout rate in Major League history, and the lowest ERA. And what I love about it is that as, as he keeps pitching innings, if he has another couple scoreless innings, that list of players he's tied with shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. If he gets like another couple of innings, it, it's not like it's a hundred player list of zero ERA. Once you get to five innings. So I'm looking forward to that. He is a Shohei Gonzalez. He also has a home run and he collected another hit on Sunday while he was officially in the game as a pitcher. So who says that that pitchers can't hit anymore? Why not? But yeah, obviously if, if Luis Gonzalez is in the game throwing his 45 mile an hour changeup off of his sneaky 82 mile an hour fastball, then something has gone, you know, not super terrifically great for the Giants. I'm sure they would prefer not to pitch Luis Gonzalez again. They probably will at some point. It's a long season. There was no Albert Pujols pitching to sort of, uh, I guess, take the sting out of a really, really bad loss like there was in St. Louis. Um, You know, you weren't left with a whole lot to to feel good about after that, uh, that loss to the Padres. And let's give it up for Manny Machado. I mean, this guy is the NL MVP right now. I think uh, pretty much unanimously. He had four extra base hits. Granted, the Giants sort of misplayed two of them into, into doubles, but three doubles and a triple. That matches the most ever by a Giants opponent in their San Francisco era. And the last time a Giants opponent had four extra base hits in a game was 2014, and it was our friend Yasiel Puig, and he had one double and Three, count them, three triples in a game at AT AT&T Park, which is pretty darn amazing to, to think about. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
That is wild. I, when he was going right and he was uh, pestering the Giants, it was like he was the greatest baseball player of all time. He just he had the the swagger. He had the athleticism. I don't miss those moments, but I almost wanted to go into hot take territory. And when I was deciding on what to write about today with Manny Machado, because that is one of the big differences between the Giants and other teams, insofar as they don't have that expensive acquisition that where they went all out and they spent money or they they traded prospect capital to get this star who's now performing at a star level and it's almost like that is what the Giants are missing right now is that all-star playing at an all-star level they got him to be an all-star and will nobody surprised at what he's doing the Giants have always tried to cobble together no we're going to make do with these veterans we have already on hand we're going to get Lamont Wade Jr. polish him up we're going to do this do that and it feels like they're missing that Machado. And I don't know if that's enough for hot take territory, but that, that sort of is my take on the roster right now. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I was left with that same sense. And, and Alex Pavlovich, we were in Gabe Kapler's office after the game, and he basically asked that. Is this a, a case where the Giants are kind of missing that star player? And we talked so much about how, well, you don't need stars. Stars are overrated. They sell tickets. They're great. Larry Bearsher likes them. But, you know, the Giants are, have this scheme. They're winning with this collaborative approach. They You aren't beholden to playing somebody at the back end of a contract uh, when when they're a declining player and and you're basically throwing one bad investment after another in terms of at-bats. But, you know, stars have a way of kind of moderating everything. And when times are bad, you can lean on somebody who's got a nice broad back and, and can give you some really good plate appearances or you know, still strikes fear in the heart of pitchers or the pitcher always knows where that person is in the lineup or when they're due up. You know, we saw it with Bonds. We saw the 2004 team, uh, I go back to the 2004 team, was not a very good team. I mean, you look at that position player core and there was not a whole lot there. But you had Barry Bonds getting on base, you know, 280 times or whatever it was that season. That's why they won 90 plus, uh, pretty much. I mean, otherwise, it was a, it was not a very good team. So not to say that uh, there's a player like that out there. Oh, wait, Juan Soto. Um, but <laughs> yeah, you wonder. You wonder if, if this uh, whole sort of collaborative scheme is is going to hit a wall eventually and, and whether they, they do need to go out and, and get a star player. And, and uh, again, I think that star player could be Juan Soto. Hold on. I'm writing down notes in my future articles column. Get... Barry Bonds in the lunch <laughs> twice. No, it's it. I, it Grow is. him in a petri dish. Yes, <laughs> grow a clone of Bonds. It feels like the Giants have. I I don't think that they're. We've talked about this ad nauseum, but they're not adverse to getting a, a major free agent. We know that because they were uh, finishing in second for Jim uh, Carlos Stanton and Bryce Harper. But it feels like they're waiting for the perfect guy, and it could be Juan Soto, whether it's this year or when he's a free agent in a couple years. I don't know if it's going to be uh, Lederick Guerrero Jr. I don't know who they're waiting for, but it feels like the philosophy of the team is. We will spend, but it's got to be that superstar in his mid-20s that's going to give us five, six years. We want it to be a value. We want it to be a free agent who's going to give us the production for the money we're giving him. And I'm wondering if that is still a sound strategy or if it's almost a little too cute for a team this rich. 
You know, I don't know. I do think that if they don't end up spending more money, then they're going to be criticized for it. And we we knew that starting this season, that if they, you know, sort of fell flat on their face or it didn't work out, you know, they put themselves up to be criticized because they could have gone out and spent more money. They certainly could have. They, they're, you know, they opened with the, their smallest opening day payroll since 2013. They, they don't rank in the top 10 in Major League Payroll where they have, you know, for, for um, years upon years. You wrote recently about, about Juan Soto and I know that you took a little bit of flack in the comments and somebody actually wrote the the C word, which we hate, which is clickbait, which it absolutely was not. First of all, it was not a clickbait story. It was a, a well-reasoned, interesting take on something that people are going to be talking about, even if it's something that is you know not going to happen, which is Juan Soto being traded. It was a good thought exercise, I thought. I enjoyed reading it. And I wonder if you could sort of summarize what uh, your point was. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, I I have written clickbait in the past. I mean, you go back and you search Grant Brisby and Tim Tebow, and I wrote like 40 (laughs) articles about Tim Tebow's baseball career. They're all tongue-in-cheek, but I wanted those hot clicks. This was not clickbait. I don't write clickbait anymore. I write subscription bait. But Juan Soto is, you have to, when when you're talking about players you can trade for, superstar players, you have to make a distinction between the normal good players, the normal all-stars, if, they, if that might be a little bit of an oxymoron, and the guys like Juan Soto, who is a 23-year-old MVP candidate, that's a freak. That is not someone you're going to run into every day. I don't think the Nationals are going to trade him anytime soon, but if they did, that's exactly the player you emptied the farm for. And you have the parallel is Miguel Cabrera back when the Tigers got him from the Marlins. He was 24 years old and already an MVP candidate. Those guys just do not come on the market. So when they do, pounce. I don't think that Juan Soto is on the market, but there certainly certainly is enough chatter to talk about it. And I would be very surprised if that didn't entice the Giants in a way that other players have not. I mean, the Giants have not given up too much in trades. Uh, Chris Bryant wasn't exactly cheap, but they haven't like they haven't traded their top five prospects, top ten prospects generally. And I I would be surprised if they wouldn't do that for Juan Soto. You know, I thought one thing you mentioned was looking back at uh, the players that were given up for Miguel Cabrera, and um, and it's just obviously was a great trade now for the Tigers. And there was one package that was rumored that would have, you know, the only one that that a team really might have regretted to some extent was the one that was rumored with the Dodgers where Clayton Kershaw and Matt Kemp would have gone to the Marlins. And so you think, well, well that would have cost the Dodgers, you know, pretty much the greatest pitcher in franchise history, uh, you know, debatable between him and Sandy Koufax, although I, I would argue for Kershaw, but I think that you could, <laughs> either way, the point is kind of made, even though people were kind of, you know, throwing pies at each other in the comments about that. Anyway, so you think, well, that that would have cost you the probably the, the most important pitcher in franchise history, but your consolation prize would have been a prime level Miguel Cabrera who won yeah. a couple MVPs and a triple <laughs> crown. So, oh, darn shucks, you know, how much is there to regret, really? But, uh, you know, I, I think we, we bring up one Juan Soto, just because we, we saw that one of Farhan Zaidi's first things, first actions was to go hard after Bryce Harper. And he was another guy who was hitting free agency uh, at a really, really young age and is a guy who's just an elite on-base person and would have just, you know, put gasoline in, their, in the tank of that lineup for, for years and years and years. And, you know, at the time, I think we all were kind of like, well, who's really running the show? Is this a Larry Bear production? You know, but, uh, you know, Farhan, he knew that that was a historic opportunity and they had to go hard at it and they did. 
and, and then ultimately it, it didn't get to the point where it made sense because it was going to be a 13-year contract. But, but yeah, I, I think that they will be very much selective in who they go after. But, you know, if you finish second on every free agent, you never sign any of them. So I don't think you put all your eggs in the basket of signing the one superstar player who uh, comes up, you know, every five or six years. But yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you, you have to act aggressively when you have opportunities to land a guy like that. And I, I wonder, there's one guy who's going to be a free agent coming up, and that's Trey Turner. And do you think that he is a guy who, who can sort of be considered anywhere near that category of player? That is one of those fascinating ones where I'm not entirely sold on him. He'll be 20. He's 29. In a, in, what is he? 29 in uh, a couple months. And so he'd be 30 in baseball age by the first year of his contract. I don't know about Trey Turner. I think he's dynamic. I think he does a lot of things well. He does not have old player baseball skills, which is what you worry about for a long-term contract. He's got legs, athleticism. He's got all the young baseball skills that you want for a long-term deal. That just feels to me like he's one injury away from being a completely different player. And I guess you can say that about any player. But when you're talking about someone who is wholly reliant on his speed, he's got a lot of power. Don't get me wrong. He's got back control. I don't know. He makes me just a little bit nervous. That combination of age and his skill set. I can't put my finger exactly on why, though. So if you're predicting a second half career slide, just be be aware that it would be the smoothest, butteriest slide <laughs> in baseball history. It would just be a nice slide into free agency. You know, I think Trey Turner would be fantastic for the Giants next year. And that's almost what I care about is if I'm a Giants fan, that next year is all I care about is 2023. When I'm talking about this offseason or 2024, I'm not worried about 2028. You have no idea what the Giants are going to be, if they're going to be a hot mess, if they're going to be a team that has promoted all these minor leaguers. And all of a sudden, not only do they have this young, fantastic team, but they have a young, fantastic and underpaid team and they can just sort of move Trey Turner around because they're paying them and they're not paying anyone else. I don't know what they'll look like. I just, I care about the short-term future and he sure would make the Giants better next year. Yeah, 2028, who knows? We might all be underwater by then. So seize the day, right? Carpe diem. I feel like I don't want to be too doomy and gloomy on this podcast because we're recording it just after a really awful weekend series. But and maybe that's why we're talking about like future casting giant seasons when they have all these great star players. They're still pretty good right now, though. I mean, I, I do think that we probably should, you know, I guess moderate our, our doom and gloom a little bit. I mean, they're still over 500. They're not in a position where they're going to have to claw their way back to 500. They've gone through some some bumps and bruises. You know, after after Sunday's game, we were all sort of sitting in the post-game interview room, and uh, we get a word from one of the PR officials that Gabe Kapler uh, wanted to talk to us in his office. He didn't want to go in the interview room. And I thought, oh, man, is he going to blast the team? Is he going to tip a spread? Is is, is he going to, you know, what what's going to happen here? And we get in there. He just didn't want to walk down to the interview room. <laughs> he's, he's like, he's like, you know what? I Just bring him in here. And there was no spread tipping. There was no pronouncements. There was no, you know, you know, we better do this or that better. It was just, hey, we're going through a rough time. We knew that uh, there were going to be challenges early in the season. You know, we just have to play better baseball. And that was it. It was very much sort of the same steady message. And, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, 
Overreaction is what we love to do, but I don't sense that they're overreacting in that clubhouse. And I think they feel pretty good about the pitcher they send to the mound every day. They certainly feel good about, you know, the people they're going to have throw against the New York Mets. And this is going to be a good a good series and a good test for them. So they don't have Juan Soto. They don't have Trey Turner. They don't have Barry Bonds grown in a lab who is a clone of the original. But they do have still some pretty good baseball players. These are all good points, and I did have a piece of positivity pulled up already just to, to kind of end on a, a positive note. So I'm going to read uh, one one player's strikeout rate, his strikeout percentage over his career. So uh, he had Ooh. a 20, 26% strikeout rate, then he had a 24.4% strikeout rate, then a 24.6% strikeout rate, and this season a 16.1% strikeout rate. Which hitter on the Giants is striking out a whole heck of a lot less this year? Okay, I'm going to go through the list. I'm going to strike out the obvious ones early. So let's see, Bart, Joey, let's yeah, see who else? Yeah, uh, mm, let's see. How about Darren Ruff? Is it Darren Ruff? It's not Darren Ruff. It's Mike Yastrzemski. And oh, Mike Yastrzemski okay. he's, is, as of right now, hitting 300. He's got a 390 on base percentage, 470 slugging percentage. And in this wacky year of 2022, that's good for a 147 adjusted OPS. He has been tremendous this year. Not as much power maybe as he'd like. I think that's true for a lot of hitters in baseball. But his approach, you know, when you and I did the collaborative feature on him a couple years ago, this was what we thought we were seeing at the time was a guy who was making really good swing decisions and it was paying off in spades and that's happening this year. Yeah, and you know what? I think it is worth mentioning, you know, when we do talk about Joey Bart as well, or, or really anybody, is it's really hard to be an offensive player in the league right now. And especially for a young offensive player, I mean, you've got, you know, Spencer Torkelson was supposed to be the guy that you tanked for, tank for Tork, and, and he's, you know, sitting there with like about a, a 300 slugging percentage. And, you know, C.J. Abrams got called up and, and you thought, well, the Padres are going to be set until Tatis comes back. They've got this star player. He's one of the best prospects in baseball. He hardly played. He didn't hit. And they sent him back out. There are a lot of young players are struggling around the game right now, which is why you look at a 23-year-old Juan Soto and, and realize just how special he is. Or you look at a Mikey Stremski, who's obviously not a, a younger player in his early 20s, but uh, somebody who's had to you know adjust and, and, um, and reinvent himself a little bit and prove that he could get back to that level that he was at in 2020. And a lot of it was health last year, as we now know, uh, was hit by that pitch from Sean Manaya right before the season started, and that really bothered him for a long time. So yeah, the fact that, that Mike Yastrzemski is back doing Mike Yastrzemski things, I think, is a great sign for this offense. They do have to be a little concerned now, I think, with Austin Slater. He's got a, a, a wrist uh, issue. He came out of Sunday's game with that. You can't really rely on any one person to carry this team. That's just not the way this team is built. But yeah, Mike Yastrzemski getting back to being one of the top, arguably top 10 best offensive players in the National League is certainly a good start. You have some guys on the Giants, they like to mix and match. There are some who are more important than others. Brandon Crawford fits on that. Getting him going is going to be important. But I think Mike Yastrzemski is also one of those players where the Giants plan goes through him. The Giants plan goes through Mike Yastrzemski being able to play all three outfield positions and giving them quality at bats. And also, that's why Darren Ruff turning his season around was so important because their plan went right through Ruff as well. They were counting on him to do so much. So if we can end on a little bit of positivity, Ruff turning it around, Mike Yastrzemski having a much better season than last year, hey, those are pretty good signs. That's why the Giants are over 500 as of right now. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, obviously, Jock Peterson carried them early, and now Yastrzemski is is the guy who's doing it now. Um, they don't have anybody with more than four home runs, jo- uh, except for Jock. He's got seven, uh, so they probably do need to start uh, hitting for a little more power because they that's how they scored a lot of runs last year. But I think the first thing they have to do is just get a lot more clean innings and uh, and not put a lot of pressure on this offense to score five runs a game to win. And if they can start doing that against the Mets, I think they'll be in better shape. All right. This has been episode 188 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We will be back on Thursday and we hopefully will not be uh, so doomy and gloomy because the Giants should probably win at least one of these games. So we'll be back to talk about it then and uh, hope you'll listen. See you then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.